0: Now for our sermon today, it will be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Still. It is entitled, Strongholds. Good afternoon, everyone. So as uh, you all probably know by now, I'm a bit of a student of history. And um, I, I specifically uh, really interested in World War II history. It's um, probably my most focused area, but but just really history is fascinating to me because we learn about cultures and people and uh, different times, different periods, and yet even through that thread of history, people are all the same. People have the same struggles, the same issues, um, the, the same hopes and dreams, desires, and so on. But Because of that, there's one consistent theme that runs throughout history, isn't there? Can you tell me what the constant is throughout all history of mankind? Human nature, nature, but it's a specific thing that that human nature leads us to do. War. War. Because ultimately history, sadly, is a history of war. Who conquered who? who was subjected to, who? you know, the, the larger forces around them and, and how that shaped their culture, their lifestyle, their communities. I would imagine there probably isn't a day or maybe at least not a week that has gone by in the history of man where somebody hasn't been fighting with somebody else. Right? Even if it's just a local conflict, even if it's just... People griping at one another. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of war. Maybe during the flood. I mean, you know, there's only eight people left, right? They're all on the ark. Did they have arguments and fights? I bet you they did. They're all stuck on an ark with a bunch of animals. Human nature, right? To fight and to unfortunately have war all the way down from Cain killing Abel to today. In fact, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, there are at least 27 ongoing armed conflicts in the world today. 27. And some estimate there's actually more like 40, depending on how you define uh, an armed conflict and how big that particular conflict is. Most of the conflicts are... Seem- seemingly in the Africa, Middle East per- uh, area, and then there's a couple in South America and then there's some in Asia. Different conflicts that could lead to full-blown war or actual regional wars themselves. And then, not included in amongst all of that is this single truth. Just for this country, our country here, that every night in many of our major cities there is constant war. Gang-related war, drug-related war, people killing and injuring one another. So there's a lot of conflict going on in mankind wherever he goes. And so given these sad facts, what are we supposed to do? Since we live in this kind of world, what do we do? Well, anybody lock their houses at night? Put some locks on there? Some strong doors? An alarm system, maybe? And then, as as a a group of people that might be engaged in a conflict, we'll we'll take that even further, right? And we'll build something. We'll build defensive structures. Stronghold. Or fortifications, or what we can call castles. Now I'd like to show you an example of a castle. This is the secret nod to Brian. He and I were joking earlier, it's like when will I know when to put the picture up? When I give you the secret nod. But right here is a picture of Dover Castle. Mark, have you been there? I'll see the white cliffs though. Yeah. 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 A uh, fascinating place. So I, I don't know if you can see it from back there, but there's a church up toward the top, almost right on the, looks like it's on the coast, but it's, it's really just up on the hill. Next to that church is a lighthouse. And that was built fairly recently by the Romans about 2,000 years ago. And it was part of a fortification structure that they built at this hill, on this this hillside, which is, is quite ho- tall, I probably should have got the, the actual elevation for you. but as you can see, it looks out across the English Channel right there, and on a clear day, you can see france so it 's a perfect place for the English to build a castle to see all those pesky French and when they 're going to come over and invade <laughs> right but Interestingly enough, the main structure in the middle there was built by the pesky French, the Normans, when they invaded in 1066. So they arrive at this nice new country that they've taken over and said, we need to defend it from the rest of the pesky French that might come over and, and the rest of Europe. And so it's actually been occupied by a military force uh, for pretty much a thousand years. Um, the last real full military force that was engaged at this castle was during World War II. And during World War II, the, there was actually an operation uh, run out of the bunkers underneath the, the complex. And that was the operation uh, that was uh, the miracle of Dunkirk when all of the Allied troops were evacuated from Europe. So there's a lot of history in this, this spot. A lot of fortifications and preparing for a conflict that might come and maybe sometimes inevitably will come. And then the Steele family Got to stand on top of that main structure in the castle there in 2019 when we, we toured that area. A lot of fun. It was a beautiful day and a windy day, but you could see friends with all the pesky French over there. But what was even more fun, and I think I've mentioned this before, is that we were there on June 6th. And it wasn't just any June 6th, it was the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion of of mainland Europe. And then later that day, I think I've told you, we had our own personal air show by a spitfire that came and flew over the town and circled the town and then headed off to France. You can just imagine what that was like 75 years before Warfare and the need to defend ourselves has been a constant companion, hasn't it, throughout our entire history. We build these strongholds, these castles, these forts to protect ourselves and to protect those that we love. What about us as Christians? You know, sometimes we really do forget that we are at war and it's so easy to do. We get lulled into a false sense of security, which is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He's telling us that things are fine. If, if he can find a way to distract us from the conflict, to, to just rest on our laurels a little bit, to not think about the war that we're in as followers of Christ, And he has got us in exactly the place that he wants us. But we are in this perpetual war. Ever since we said, yes, I accept that Jesus Christ is my savior. Ever since we were baptized, received the the Holy Spirit, we were now marked, targeted by the enemy for destruction. Think about that for a second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, the Apostle Paul tells us about this conflict and he introduces this term and it's the only place in the New Testament that it's really used uh, in this way. He says, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are at war. And in the midst of the battle, this battle that we are in, we want to get ourselves into a defensive position. We want to protect ourselves. We want a stronghold, don't we? A position, a place from which we can attack the enemy. And the enemy is disadvantaged and, and can't attack us. You know, and that's, that's the purpose of castles, isn't it? If any of you have, have been in a castle, you'll see all of these slits in the side of the walls. That's not to let daylight in. it's to let arrows out. And they're, they're angled on the inside so that you can have a full range of targeting the enemy. So you can attack the enemy, but he's got to try and get through this tiny little hole in the wall to get you. It's the science of warfare, and it's the science of protecting yourself when you're in a war or when you're being attacked. A place where the enemy can do very little damage to us, but we can attack him. And yet, Paul says right here that we are a fighting a war that is designed to bring down strongholds. Not raise them up. Not enter into them and use them. Hey, here's this stronghold, this castle. Let's, let's occupy it and protect ourselves so the enemy cannot sneak up on us if we were just in a, a camp in a field. So on. Paul is saying no, we're going to bring down strongholds. So what is he talking about here? Well, I suppose from an evangelic or evangelistic standpoint, we could say that we are sharing the gospel and we are we are trying to bring down strongholds that are in the lives of people uh, that we are reaching out with the truth of God. But what's interesting is that Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to people like us. About us. And about the battles that we are fighting. So why is he talking about pulling down our strongholds? Could it be that even those who are in Christ have created for themselves fortresses? strongholds that they think are protecting them, but in actual fact are leaving them vulnerable to attack. So again, looking at what Paul is saying here, he says that these strongholds are what? Arguments and everything that lifts lifts itself up against God. These strongholds are not good things. They are arguments and prideful things that lift themselves up against God and what God is working in our lives. We think they give us power. But God says they need to be pulled down. The New Living Translation of this same little verse here puts it this way. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So we need to destroy these proud obstacles that stop us from knowing God and then capture rebellious thoughts almost as though these thoughts are the enemy themselves as though they are soldiers that we need to capture and imprison so that we can obey Jesus Christ. So strongholds are what? Or what would be an obstacle? What would be an obstacle in our lives that keeps us from knowing God, that keeps us from from obeying Jesus Christ and his teachings? What are obstacles? Anybody have any ideas? It's not a trick question. Well, we might look at it in reverse. We might say, well, we can avoid obstacles if we keep the law of God. Right? We just follow what God tells us. Stop sinning. Obey his commandments. Do good works. Tithe. Serve God and his people. If we do all of these things, then we'll be blessed, we'll be protected, and we won't have any stumbling blocks. We won't have anything that is rebellious against God. But is that all that there is? Is that the whole picture? Because even following the law of God can do what? It can turn into a stronghold. We can actually take following the law of God and make it. Our protection. And think it is going to save us. It's good that we follow the law of God. And remember Jesus had an interaction with. With Pharisees and Sadducees that it did exactly the same thing. Jesus said you, you just talk about the law. But you don't really understand what, it, what it's about. You're missing the point. So we can Turn. Just practicing God's way and his law into a stronghold. Like I said before, Paul uses this term stronghold only once. And we definitely have to be careful about how much we try and put on it. But there are some things that we can glean what he's saying. Strongholds can be both fortresses of protection. But they can also be a trap a prison for those that are in them. One of the most famous strongholds in England that I probably should have given Brian a picture for is uh, a certain tower. You you guys know what I'm talking about? Tower of London. London. And you've probably seen the Tower of London. Again, built by those pesky Normans after they invaded. And... They put it in place to make sure everybody in London knew they were the boss, and they could be inside that tower. And if there was an uprising, nobody's going to be able to touch them. It was a very effective means of defending themselves. But you know what happened in the life of that, this, this structure? What it became? A prison. Isn't that interesting? So something that was designed to be protective, designed to shield us from the enemy, becomes a prison. And it was particularly the the place where high-profile prisoners were taken, right, if you really got on the bad side of the king or queen, to the tower with you. And off you went. And very few people survived the Tower. It became a prison. So, strongholds, we may think they are protective and helping us, but they can actually become prisons for us. So let's get specific. Like I said, like I asked before, what do I mean by strongholds? Well, there are some examples of spiritual strongholds that we repeatedly do or engage in, in order for us to get through our life. I think strongholds are essentially addictions. Addictions to all kinds of behaviors and sins. That for one reason or another, because of our experience, because of our background, we have latched onto one of these things. And it, in the moment, it gives us some sort of help, but in the long term, turns us into prisoners in our own strongholds. Some of those examples addictions such as alcohol, drugs, food, sex, gambling, spending money, buying more and more things all these kinds of things are used to see, soothe emotional psychological hurts, just real damage that's in a person's life from, from who knows when, every journey is, is different. And for some reason they make us feel stronger or more protected or comforted. And then in the end they become, as I said, prisons. A stronghold to being in control. How about that one? Does anybody suffer from that one? I think probably like 75% of humanity struggles with that one. And then the other part of humanity struggles with it, and so just gives up. Being in control, having to control every facet of life. If, the, if we can make the right choices at the right time, in the right way, with all the right information, then we can do what? Control the outcome. We can control the outcome of life. Is anybody willing to admit to that one? That we are. Some partial hand raising. That's tough. Addicted to control. Because we want to control the outcome. And then, of course, it's impossible, right? So when failure comes and we don't control the outcome, what do we do? Fran, what did you say? Frustration. Frustration, And then what else do we do? We commit ourselves to doing better next time so we can control the outcome. Right? And it gets into this cycle. Never-ending process of trying to control the outcome of life, which is just impossible. We can only control our own behaviors and ideas and thoughts. And even then not always very well. We cannot control everyone else. How about the stronghold of pride? Anybody willing to accept this one? Uh, no, I'm too humble to admit that I have a problem with pride. Right? But I learned recently in a, in a class that a few of us took, that pride is uh, not just Uh, In one direction. It's actually in another direction. And it was fascinating to me because we can actually be proud against the plan that God has for us by denying that he could possibly love us or save us. And it's a form of pride to reject the plan that he has for us. I thought that was a really interesting understanding of how pride can grip us. How about strongholds of bitterness and hardness of heart? Bitterness and hardness of heart. The scriptures talk about a root of bitterness, don't they? In fact, we'll we'll read it here in a minute. We think that if we put a barrier around the heart, if we're hard, if we're bitter because of things that have happened to us, then what? We'll never get hurt again. We become trapped inside of this stronghold, cut off from relationships, cut off from people, cut off from God and what he is working in us and trying to do with us. A defensive stronghold that has instead imprisoned us. There are so many strongholds and as I'm going through this list, you're probably thinking of your own. Whatever that may be. These strongholds God wants to bring down. Break them down. Eliminate them. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now chastening seems, uh, now, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Chastening brings pain, and pain brings change. And that change, as we just read, brings righteousness. Chastening brings pain, and pain brings about change. Change in Christ Jesus brings us to righteousness. It says, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the process that God uses to break down those strongholds. You know, there may be a moment in time where you may think, well, I don't don't really feel like I'm being chastened. I mean, it's probably rare. <laughs> but you might be sitting there thinking, I'm, I feel, I'm, feel like I'm good. Look out. Because he's not done. We are not done. And there's more chastening to be done. So Paul says, alright, you're, you're in the middle of this chastening here. It's going to bring about fruit of righteousness If you're willing to let yourself be trained by it. Be trained to to fight in the battle without this stronghold. Be trained by the chastening of God. So then, therefore, we can strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. We can't just jump into this and say, okay, all right, I'm going to read this passage and yes, I'm going to strengthen my hands and strengthen my knees and just will ourselves into this condition. We have to endure the chastening. We have to essentially be willing to go to God and say, I need your chastening. I need your work in my life. I need you to bring down the strongholds that I have put my faith into instead of you and let him do his work so that we can straighten the feet, So that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau... Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance. Though he sought it diligently with tears. What an awful place to be in. To have had chastening. To have had God trying to bring down those strongholds. And we would refuse the training. And we would not accept... What he was guiding us to. And then we become like Esau. Just impulsive. and Throwing it away. Holding fast to our own strongholds. The designs of our own mind. I think when Paul brings down, talks about bringing down strongholds, he's not, he's not talking about rejecting pagan holidays. And replacing them with biblical ones. That's one-on-one. That's 101, rather. That's the basic truths of God. That's easy, relatively speaking. He's not just talking about accepting and following the law of God. Because that's just part of it. We have to do that. That's just the beginning of the process. What he's talking about is allowing the power of God, the Holy Spirit to work in our life, to endure that chastening, to allow God to bring his corrective measures into us. And it hurts for him to do that. It hurts. But we are his children. And he is going to root out all of those places, all of those strongholds, all of those things that are put obstacles for our relationship with him, for our walk with him. You know, all the things I listed before, of themselves, they're not bad, are they? I mean, you know, there's, there's proverbs that tell us to not be slothful, to, to be organized, to make plans. But we can take that too far and, and be too controlling in life. We should eat food. Anybody like to eat food? I like to eat food. There's eight of us that like to eat food? That's troubling. I don't really eat anything else but but food. But too much, right? Too much is too much, and it's damaging to us. Alcohol in moderation. Drugs that are useful for healing, beneficial for the reduction of physical pain. All these things have a place in life, don't they? Every single one of those things that I listed. But buying things to excess will ruin our bank accounts. And having to have that next gadget, yes, I'm talking to myself, that will ruin us. That will take us to a place where we are making the things that we can do and apply in our own lives for ourselves into strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 again. Those strongholds are anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that puts an obstacle in our way. It's so simple and so very hard to do. We need strongholds though. So after saying all that, I'm going to say we need strongholds. but we need a very specific stronghold. We need a stronghold to get protection from in this battle that we're in, this Christian fight that we're in, because it's a fight for our lives. Remember, we have been marked by the enemy. You know, uh, my son was watching, um, was it Top Gun the other day? The old Top Gun movie, do you guys remember that movie? And uh, I was reminded of this targeting, you know, you see on the screen, and they've got the missile lock, you know, on the bad the, the, the guy on the Russian MiG. That is what's going on with us. We're targeted, this missile lock. We need a stronghold. We need somewhere to shelter. So there is a guy in the Bible, we know him as King David, and he is very familiar with strongholds. In fact, his his whole journey of fleeing for his life is a story of him moving from one stronghold to another. And you should read the whole thing because there's so many uses of stronghold in 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 that that part of his life story. I just want to jump into a very small part of it though, in First Samuel chapter twenty three and verse fourteen. As we'll remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. He was the first bad king of Israel. He was not very effective. And as a result, his line was going to come to an end. No hereditary monarchy there. And David was going to be put on the throne. Saul was envious of this. Envious of David and his skills. Envious of his relationship with God. And so he was set about to kill him before he could become king. So starting in verse 14, it says, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw excuse me, that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. then Jonathan Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. and he said to him, "Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods. And Jonathan went to his, his own house. And what I suspect happened here is that somebody saw Jonathan going to the, these woods and then, and then leaving. Because it says, then the, the Ziphites came up to Saul at Geba, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hilkiah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has uh, seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. I mean, he's not leaving anything to chance, is he? I want you to look and see where he might be hiding, and then I want you to look to see where he could possibly hide if he's not hiding there. Because he's very crafty, is this David. And it shall be that if he is in the land, I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before, uh, before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and in the plain south of Jeshmon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told, David, uh, they told David, Therefore he went back to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came up to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David, and went against the Philistines, so they called the place of the rock uh, they called that place the Rock of escape and then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at Gedi. so this is just a, you know a small portion of of this drama of Paul chasing David all over the countryside and you know trying to kill him and, and David is with, with his his loyal uh, soldiers as well. But, but notice that he goes from stronghold to stronghold, doesn't he? He goes to these different strongholds. And Saul gets closer and they realize this stronghold's not going to hold up. So they scurry off and they go to, to another one. And they keep going to these strongholds in the hope that they can hide and maybe defend themselves from Saul. But then it's also interesting at the beginning of the passage that I read. Because it said, But God did not deliver him, did not deliver David into Saul's hand. Did not deliver him into his hand. And then we get down to the very end there, that rock of escape. And it looks pretty bad. Because David's getting circled around. He's on one side of the mountain, Saul, I'm sure, has more troops. He spread them around the mountain so they could just walk on up to where they are, capture them, kill them. Or probably capture them, drag them off, and then put them on parade and then kill them. But at that very moment, at that very moment, the Philistines decide to invade. Now, was that the Philistines invading or was that God sending the Philistines to invade? Because at the beginning of this, it said God did not permit David to fall into the hands of Saul. God had a plan for David and he had a plan for Saul. So, David is bouncing around to all of these strongholds and they're not doing him a bit of good. Because he has to flee one and go to another and then another. And you can read that if you read the full story. So, what's the takeaway from this? Well, David gave us the takeaway. If you turn over to Psalm 27 and verse 1, it says, The Lord, this is David, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now it's important to note that the word strength here can be translated stronghold. So we can read it in that light and it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And that's exactly what we saw with that story, isn't it? That David is busy going from stronghold to stronghold and trying to protect himself, trying to control the outcome. And all the while, God has him protected. We need a stronghold. We do. We need a defensive position. We need somewhere, someone to have our back. And, of course, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's got our back. He is our stronghold. We need a place where we can go and get our battle wounds healed, don't we? Where we can get some soothing balm on the pain and the struggles that we go through at times to calm our hearts when we have fear and to give us peace in our trouble. We need someone who's going to provide us what we need a safe place. We need someone who has already perfected the battle plan. Who would love for God to just give us the battle plan and we can go execute it? He already has. That's the trouble, isn't it? We look for our own stronghold. He's already giving us the battle plan if we will listen to him. We need all these things, but we cannot get it from our own imagination. No matter how smart we are, we can't build our own strongholds. So David continues. He says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Nothing to do with the strongholds that he chose, the places that he picked to be his defensive locations. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all about me therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle I will sing yes I will sing praises to the Lord hear O Lord when I cry with my voice have mercy also upon me and answer me when you said seek my face my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not, turn your servant, do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. Because of my enemies. That's such a powerful statement, isn't it? And a dangerous one. Because he will. He will take us up on this request. And he will then chasten us. And he will break down those strongholds that we have put in our life. He will do those things. But then he will lead us in that smooth path. Do not, uh, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say. On the Lord. He is our stronghold. Our own man-made strongholds cannot give us courage. They cannot strengthen our heart. But God can. Each one of us knows our hearts. We at least know enough to know what our strongholds might be. Those things that we put trust in Instead of trusting in God. We know those things. And so does God. He has targeted those things for destruction. If we allow him to. If we allow him to chasten us. His children. Then he will bring those strongholds down. But there's two things we've got to do. We've got to stop building them back up again when he's knocking them down and we've got to trust that he is the stronghold that we can step into that place of safety that we can hold on to if we allow him to bring down the strongholds that we have built he will crush them he will take them all away and it will not be easy it will not be easy because it's going to hurt When he breaks down those strongholds, it will cut us, it will bruise us, it will break our bones, it will mar our flesh. And the reason that this happens is, is because we're inside our strongholds. He's breaking them down around us. But when we come out of it, we will come out of it and enter into a stronghold with him. A safe place with him. Where our wounds can be healed. Where we can be strengthened. Where we can lift up those hands that hang down. And where our feeble knees will be strengthened. If we trust him and let him take a hold of those things that are in our life. That are controlling us and imprisoning us. then after all of that. we will come out beautiful. we will come out joyous will come out into his tabernacle, as David said, where we will celebrate and sing praises to our God. Let's just let him break down our strongholds.